This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. No strings till the hank comes out. Make all the drunk girls scream and shout. We love it, we hate it. We're all just trying to make it in this crazy town. We got it up and rolling uh, 10, 15 minutes later than, than, uh, than we expected. But hey, we're back. We're, we're ready to roll. And uh, we're, we're broadcasting live from the Byron household with uh, some of Lexington. Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. And, Will, I, I stopped off at the liquor store uh, earlier today, and I said, that's the one I have to get. Great mouthfeel. Just a great mouthfeel on this uh, Kentucky bourbon. It just it's feels It's actually really good. Right. Anything Kentucky would have tasted delicious. Uh, because, if dude, I said my fan tank was empty, and I think that became kind of a running joke on Twitter for a second. But truly, from the bottom of my heart, after that Southern Miss game, I don't know about you, Billy. How empty was your tank? How low was the morale? And how desperately did the Vanderbilt fan base need something like what we saw on Saturday? Oh, my gosh. With Clark Lee and the boys walking up in Lexington and upsetting the number 24 team in the country. If there was a fan base that deserved this. It was us. It's Vanderbilt. It was – there's not another fan base in the country that has endured what Vanderbilt fans have endured. Over the past, I mean, not just the past couple of weeks with the basketball struggles and, you know, a couple of football losses, but I mean, they, they needed this. Well, they needed this. We needed this uh, as uh, as producers of the Doorport. Uh, so we're going to get into it. Well, uh, this is episode 191. going to have to do a lot of editing on this one, um, but it is a Sunday night, November 13th. We are, as always, powered by the great folks at Alaco Fine with Floors, family owned and operated for more than two decades. Alaco Finewood Floors is Nashville and Middle Tennessee's choice for premium quality hardwood floors. Since 1995, Jimmy Alaco and his army of employees have embodied the approach of taking pride in one's craft and providing superior customer service, growing from a one-man shop to a team of 23 professionals who share the founder's passion for quality craftsmanship and customer satisfaction. If you're interested in contacting them, you can find their headquarters at 2505 Winford Avenue in Berry Hill, or you can call them at 615-356-0303 or check out their website, alacofinewoodfloors.com. Will, it's time to recap Kentucky. And uh, before we get into that, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, door underscore report, Instagram, door dot report. Go like us on Facebook as well. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and review on iTunes. All right, let's get to the Kentucky recap. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, well, this camera's killing me. It's just, it's so funny. We, we, uh, we got it up and running uh, I got a comment here. It doesn't sound like you're speaking into the mic, uh, so maybe we got to get a little bit closer here. Put this, uh, put this gain up a little bit. Um, well, we, we may just have to go back and forth, just just pointing. So I'll I'll kind of start here. Um, 
But, Will, Kentucky recap. Vanderbilt beats Kentucky 24-21 in Lexington. And I we, we, were to, we talked all week. We, we, we talked all week about this game saying we didn't expect this. I mean, we didn't expect to win. My, what was your score prediction? It was 30. Oh, as I lean in, 31-14, to 14, Billy, I believe is my score prediction. Now back to you. Thank you, Will. Uh, Will, so I had, I think I had 31-17. So, but for me, I mean, this was the Clark Lee kind of era in one game, I feel like. I mean, you look at it and, yeah, the Clark Lee era hasn't really been a winning era. (laughs) and You won the game on the road. But just the way they did it, the way the the gritty defense, um, you know, just unexpected plays on offense, the the throw to Mike Wright, the throw to Quincy Skinner from Mike Wright was – I mean, that was as as unexpected as it gets. I mean, who would have ever thought Mike Wright drops back on a fourth and 11 and completes uh, a, a basically a jump ball to Quincy Skinner? Uh, so I look at that and, I mean, I think this game, you look back at it, Will, it's going to – this is the start of it. I mean, this is going to define the Clark Lee era somewhat. So I think define – and allow to build on are two different are two different things because this is awesome. So I don't want to take anything away. We were going to say this was a building season regardless. And I don't think that changes that like this season isn't, it is a success in Vanderbilt bubbles because likely, you know, they're going to be pretty heavy underdogs against Florida and obviously pretty heavy underdogs against Tennessee, but it does, give you something to build on. And I think the most important thing that it does, I said it in the spaces that we had immediately after, but it severs the last tie to the Derek Mason era. And I think that's probably the most important thing that winning an SEC game, ending that 26 game streak and getting that monkey off your back. It's officially a new program, new logo, new coaches, new players. You can move forward. There's nothing holding you back. Oh, nice, nice, nice. But, uh, yeah, this allows Clark Lee to build for the future. But once again, you're still going to be sitting probably at four and eight. Granted, that's doubling your wins from two and ten. But you've got to keep building. And and this is just something that you can actually point to and say, look, our method is working. Our methodology is working. Trust the process. Our process does work. And it certainly can't hurt with recruiting. Because I think that's where you see a lot of the murmurs start to begin. Uh, people were afraid that the lack of success on the actual field was going to start impacting these recruiting classes that we were pretty excited about, which is the lifeblood of all of college football. So the main thing this does is create positive media, severs the tie with Derek Mason. There's, it, It's great to come on here, Billy, and have a bunch of positive things to say. It's weird. I'm not used to it. Uh, and then we're trying out this new in-person live stream. So this this may not be our best episode, but damn it, Billy, we are trying. We are trying our best. We, we are doing everything we can. The audio will improve. I think the audio really isn't the problem. The video, uh, so there's probably some people just listening on their phone. Um, but, Will, we're going to do this again. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe the next SEC win comes uh, next year, but we're going to do it. We're going to get a better camera. We're going to do this right. Uh, but, Will, let's get into – I know we, I asked you for a player of the game and you said Ray Davis. And I, I started thinking about it and I, I agree. I, I know initially I said Mike Wright, but that was, you know, that was heat of the moment that I was, you know, there are a lot of people that, that I think would have agreed in the moment, but then you look back and you look at what Ray Davis was able to do on the ground and damn, that was pretty impressive. I mean, I don't, I don't know. He, he went over hundred yards. Will I know that um, as uh, you know, you'll have, you'll provide us with the stats here. Um, yeah, there you go. Ray Davis went for 26 carries, 129 yards, and a touchdown. And he also had one catch for one yard, if you want to. There you go. As I think I accidentally clicked the mi- mute button on the mic I'm not familiar with here. So this is a work in progress. There we go. We're, We're trying. Good. We're good here. We're good. So <laughs> over over 100 yards, Will. Um, and when you, when you have Ray Davis over 100, Mike Wright over 100 yards as well. Um, I mean, you, you're, you're going to win. Most most of the games, especially if you're on the road in the SEC, I was shocked by by the really domination on the ground. We saw it against South Carolina, where Vanderbilt was able to dominate on the ground, uh, but against Kentucky, they did very similar things, if not even more than what they were able to do on the ground against against South Carolina. So um, I also look at what what Ray Davis did on the ground, um, and I would say Ray. 
I mean, I think I think you would agree Ray Davis is your player of the game as well. Ray Davis is, but just to be contrarian, I've got to put in C.J. Taylor. And C.J. Taylor is going to be uh, kind of a way to put in the entire defense and what they did. And I know the final stats aren't going to look as phenomenal as this defense actually performed because Rodriguez busted off a 72-yard touchdown run there. Uh, that changed the complexion of that game inside of five minutes in the fourth quarter. But outside of that run, and I know that's a big outside of that run, but this defense held him to 17 carries for 90 yards and a touchdown. And that's not unbelievable. That's not incredible. But that's a pretty damn good job. And C.J. Taylor led that charge. He had one and a half tackles for loss, I believe six overall tackles. And just this entire season, Every single place that that ball is located, C.J. Taylor is somewhere near it. And he is going to be, and already is, a staple of that defense when Orgy moves on to the next level. And it's nice to see, like, uh, we're not just losing all the guys. You have some youth, some talent brewing there that is going to be able to build on to next year. And you can see hope in the future of this team. And I'm not meaning to take this all from one Kentucky win. Because I don't right. think that our overall outlook decreases so much or increases so much just based on this Kentucky game. This is just visual justification that he's on the right track. Yeah, And that's something that I think even the most diehard fans started wavering on when you start seeing another Missouri loss, another South Carolina loss. And then you look at Kentucky, Florida, Tennessee, and think it's not going to happen this year. And mm-hmm. you think first two seasons – I know where you're starting from, but still, that's two winless seasons in the SEC. Boom. Every bit of that is gone. It's all erased. And I just I keep going back to that, and I know this was supposed to be player of the game. So, C.J. Taylor played a hell of a game. The whole yeah. defense yeah. played a hell of a game. So, shout out to the whole defense. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was going to say the whole defense as well last night. I would put Ray Davis as the player of the game, but without that defense, you don't win that game. Without what the defense was able to do – I mean, you look at what they did. I think even on that last possession, there's 30 seconds left. Kentucky still has a shot. I mean, I was saying to myself, I said, they're going to go down, tie it, go to overtime with a field goal. You know, but, well, and I said it in the spaces, last year against South Carolina, you only brought three, and that really killed you. I mean, that was the nail in the coffin there, and that was against Zeb Nolan, a graduate assistant quarterback who came off the bench and won that game. So, that's not like you're playing against Will Levis. You're playing against Will Levis on the road in this one, and they bring more than three. I mean, that- and they brought more than three, and we just touched on what the defense did in the run game against Kentucky. But Will Levis' stats, I mean, that secondary, for as much as we have been very, 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 very critical, and a lot of Vanderbilt fans have been very, very, very critical of the secondary, they held what is still, they flashed the graphic as a first round projected quarterback, the seventh overall player in the entire NFL draft, which I don't believe that, but that's what they flashed on the graphic on SEC network. And they, and this Vanderbilt secondary held Will Levis to 11 of 23 for 109, no touchdowns and a pick with a 15.5 QBR. Yeah. For what this secondary has done all year, that is the performance that was the most unexpected. I think going into this game, I think we could have seen maybe Ray Davis having a good game on the ground not what we expected to happen but we could see it happen I never expected the secondary to hold Will Levis to under 110 yards passing and under a 20 QBR no and I mean he he did that against Tennessee as well but he all he played worse against Vandy than he did against Tennessee and the, the the funniest part about it is that you know yeah he has a bad offensive line but Vanderbilt got pressure they, that's what we said before the game. Will Dick Gabriel came on. He said, if you want to beat Kentucky, you have to get pressure on Will Levis, and Vanderbilt was able to do that. Now, they weren't able to do it really with three or four guys most of the time, but they would bring an extra guy. I, I do think with four guys, they were able to get pressure sometimes, but they would bring an extra guy to bring a fifth guy. They would bring a sixth guy, and C.J. Taylor was often one of those guys. Devin Lee played his butt off, I thought. Um, but the entire defense, give credit to Nick Howell. I know we were, you know, we were talking a lot about him and his defense uh, throughout this week. And, you know, you, you got to believe they listened to the podcast because they <laughs> they played. I mean, the scheme was great. The, yes, you gave up the big 72-yard run to Rodriguez. Kentucky did have some long kind of drawn-out methodical drives. But, you know, you never let it affect you as a team. You never let those drives. And, and anytime Kentucky put up points – 
affect you as a team. So, yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I just look at that last defensive possession. Obviously, if you don't have that, if you let them go down and tie the game, you're going to overtime, anything can happen. So um, you, you just you're not used to seeing that. You haven't seen that from a, in the Clarkley era, a team go on the road in the SEC and just find a way to win. You know, I mean, that's what you have to do in the SEC. You got to go find ways to win. And for the first time, we saw it against NIU, Will. We, we saw it on the road there, but not against an SEC opponent. Um, you know, they, they've been doing everything to lose it, you know, and the other team kind of sits back, you know, and so they found ways to win. And that's another thing I look at. Yeah, I don't know when we're getting the keys here, Billy, but we, I, we'll, we'll get there, we'll get we'll there get soon. Uh, but I remember one of my keys – we actually did call them keys to victory, and I did criticize you for that, and I apologize right here for <laughs> criticizing, naming those keys to victory. Shame on you, Will. But the main key to victory for me, the number one, was the normal key to victory I hate, which is time of possession. And they won time of possession in this game. They controlled this game. They had the ball for 33 minutes. Kentucky had it for 26-45. And Mike Wright was able to pick up first downs. They were 11 for 17 on third down. This offense under Mike Wright looked better than it had looked under A.J. Swan. He hit Bresnahan on a big conversion pass in the middle of the field. That was a big boy throw from Mike Wright. He hit Shepard on the slant to win the game, to, to take the go-ahead score. That was over the top of a linebacker right on the money to Will Shepard. He had the one really bad throw in the red zone. And that's the one that we have seen from Mike Wright that just defies all logic. You see bracketed coverage. You see a double team. Will Shepard did not think he was going to be getting that ball because he ran a fake stop. On, this is on the interception Mike threw early in the game, right. the red zone. He ran a fake stop went to the end zone, and Mike Wright just threw it up for grabs into a double team. But then you take the other side of Mike Wright, which he busts up a 59-yard yeah. touchdown run, yeah. and he drives him down the field, and he just has this it factor to him. So I don't think this changes anything for me as far as how I view the quarterback position long-term. Mm -hmm. But the rest of this season, I think just let A.J. Swan rest from whatever injury, quote-unquote, mm -hmm. he has – and just let Mike ride it out. He's playing very, very well right now. This game, I don't think you win this game with A.J. Swan. We talked about how they don't win the NIU game with Mike Wright. I don't think they win this game with A.J. Swan. So great job by, by the staff, in all honesty, and doing yeah. the best they could with this quarterback situation throughout the year. Rarely do I compliment coaching staffs on a quarterback situation, but as far as maximizing wins – I mean, I think they've done it with, mm -hmm. the, with the stable of quarterbacks that they have. And that's not saying that's some massive over-the-top success. But Mike Wright, I mean, he played a hell of a game. He, he and, and moving forward, I guess we'll see how that translates the next two weeks. Though. Yeah, we, we will. I mean, will you look at it? And I, I kind of agree that, I mean, you don't have Mike Wright in there. You don't have that long run. You know, you don't have um, his experience. I mean, you don't you, AJ Swan and just his age. I mean, that that throw he scrambled out of the pocket and stayed looking down the field. Yeah, and I saw somebody say something on the lines on Twitter of like Mike vertically moves up the pocket when he when he moves up and down in the pocket and looks for lanes. He's very successful mm -hmm. versus when he's moving horizontally, and it looked like he did that yeah. a lot more. It looked like Mike Wright was a different quarterback. Yeah. In all honesty, than we had seen, he looked a lot calmer. He didn't look as under panic in mm -hmm. the pocket. And that's something that athleticism can be the double-edged sword of is, is when do you leave the pocket? When do you turn it into backyard football? And that's something that all quarterbacks have a tough time that are that are athletically gifted, figuring out when that is. When is the play over down the field? And Mike Wright kind of did a good job of balancing that this game. Yeah. How sustainable is that? Yeah, I yeah. Guess we'll see. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I saw a, I saw a, a a view from you know how the NFL does the overhead views, you know, from the sky cam. There wasn't a sky cam in Lexington, but there was a view, an end zone, a back end zone view of the throw. Mike Wright, I mean, that wasn't some sort of magical throw to Shepard on the slant there, but I did see some hands up. I saw, I mean, he led him perfectly and. You know, we haven't seen that from Mike. I mean, we saw the uh, – I forget who it was Who it was to. It was supposed to be to either Quincy or Gamarion. Mike was rolling to his right, and it was just 
it was like 10 feet behind it, behind the receiver. So for Mike to just get it done, complete the slant to Shepard, he got it done. And so, you know, I, I just think that was that was a statement from Mike Wright that I think he was excited to kind of prove, you know. And I think we are good with it being in the middle if we talk loud enough. Yeah, I hope so. I, I, I got some I feedback. I don't like dragging it back and forth. I got some feedback. I think we're the good. The only part that I want to get out here before we get into the keys, because I think the keys are going to be positive. So I just want everyone to keep in mind that every single thing we say after this is completely different. If Quincy Skinner Jr. gets an offensive pass interference call on that pass he catches, right? Which that's a call. That's a call that is 10, always I was called. Just waiting on that play. <laughs> so the reason I bring that up and the reason I say that is for the next time that Vanderbilt gets absolutely fucking hosed on a call, and everybody says you can't look at the game that way. I'm going to point to that and say, look, they didn't hose Vanderbilt. Mm. And that is the entire reason they won the game. So the refereeing plays a massive part. And it did in this game. Allowing teams to win games. This was a well-refereed game. I don't think it was OPI on Quincy Skinner Jr., Mm -hmm. but it easily could have been called. And that's one of those that if that call is called, then this game is over and Vanderbilt doesn't win. Same thing with they got it right, but the illegal hands to the face on the failed fourth down conversion right. for Vanderbilt. Yeah, That saved the drive. So those were two calls mm-hmm. that went, went Vanderbilt's way, and they won the game. And so next time that I go on one of the rants and people get tired of the calls or the bad late call or why are you complaining about this call that killed this drive, because in the games you win – you get slash don't get those calls. And that's the difference. And that's what's been really frustrating is seeing the games that are influenced that way and then seeing a very easily recognizable call that is like, that is the one. That's the one that we always see. I just kept waiting to see that late marker come out of the referee's pocket back there. Yeah, well, in the hands of the face. I mean, Mm -hmm. you saw the hands of the face there. And, I mean, it was blatant. That was blatant. Yeah, that was was blatant. So – um, well, you just look at you look at certain calls in this game, and you point to them, but that's not the reason. You know, it's not the you know that's not like this is why Vanderbilt you know won this game, or this is why Kentucky lost this game. But you do think about them, and you say, man, that uh, the fact they didn't call Quincy on that on that OPI there was huge. Um, and <laughs> thank thanking the heavens uh, for that one. So, well, let's get into it. Uh, we won't. Uh, won't keep everybody here for too long, but it, this is the Kentucky recap. So, I mean, I feel like it's got to be at least an hour. These uh, takeaways are going to last uh, last forever. Um, we are getting some comments, so we will get to some of your guys' comments and questions uh, here throughout the show. Uh, I know some people um, some people had uh, had some comments coming in a little bit earlier, but uh, we will get to those. But well, let's start with the three key takeaways. And I don't even have these down on paper. I'm I'm I'm. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going off the cuff, but I, ha- I mean, I, obviously I have some in mind. And my first key takeaway to this game, Will, is what Vanderbilt was able to do on the ground. Mike Wright, Ray Davis, both over 100 yards. When your quarterback has a game, has a game like that and a running back has that much success, you set yourself up very well. I mean, yes, Vanderbilt very well could have lost that game and, and – you know, you point to a, a statistical game like this and you say, wow, Vanderbilt rushed for this many yards, but they still didn't get it done. I mean, this would have been a huge missed opportunity. But the fact that they were able to do that, I think, you know, Will, I talked about this a little bit, um, you know, I think it was two episodes ago where the, the mentality and the, and the identity of this team was based off the defense and, you know, what they were able to do against Missouri in the second half. They didn't really do a whole lot of it against South Carolina. They did do a lot of it against Kentucky, um, not to the level of Missouri. Now you're playing a better offense, um, but I do think the the identity is is kind of switching to, you know, they want to be dominant on the ground. You know, with this offensive line, that's hard to do. You know, that's hard to do. So I do give credit to to Ray Davis and obviously Mike Wright, but I also do give credit to the scheme and give credit to Joey Lynch out there. I mean, you know, we were. Fans were pretty negative about what they saw from Lynch last year. We were at times as well, but you got to look at what you have. You're playing with, you know, 
I think that was probably a lot of the players and, and just the, the guys that you have and the lack of talent. They still don't have, you know, too many game breakers on this team, but you have more toys to play with. You've got a guy like Jane McGowan. You've got a Quincy Skinner who has developed into a nice player and really come on. Gamarion Carter doing some nice things. Of course, we know about Will Shepard. So there are more toys to play with. And the O-line, I think, has gotten better, Will. I mean, it, it's pro- it's hard to see. And, and I think – yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're missing three guys and the O-line gets gets that amount of push. And and I give credit to them. I give credit to Ray Davis. I think they they made the hashtag grease don't freeze. Um, so they I mean, they love it. Well, Coach Blazek has done a great job. So I look at certain position coaches who have done a really good job. I look at Blazek. I think Howell, I mean, got to give him some credit for Saturday and that performance as well. I mean, you, you go kind of all around the board, and I think that starts with the guys Clark brought in, and and you know the 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 excitement that he did bring in with that locker room and in McGugan and really with everybody. I mean, they've got so many different staff members there. I mean, it's it's you feel like the the staff members out, outnumber the team at, at certain points. So, well, that's my first key takeaway: just the ground game because I think it was a huge part of the game. And you look back, you know, I mean, they showed it on ABC after the game. They say. You know, V is for victory, and they're showing Ray Davis highlights, Mike Wright highlights. So um, I just look at what Vanderbilt was able to do on the ground, and that was just a massive part uh, to the game. I'm glad you went offense for your key number one, because I'm going to go defense. Uh, I already talked about the time of possession thing, but, Billy, we brought it up, uh, I think, in the preview of the season and early on, but how many sacks did this team have in all of 2021 last year? Was it three? Am I? It was more than that. It was eight, I believe. I think uh, it was eight, three. seven or eight. It, eight. Uh, that was the total number. I know it was seven or eight. Yeah. I In all of 2021, they had four. Yeah, that would have been pretty <laughs> They had four against Kentucky. Pressure. That's my key number one. That's my key takeaway number one. This defensive line for the first time made an opposing quarterback uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. He was off rhythm. You can say what you the secondary played a lot better. They did. They tackled better. There yeah. was some missed tackles. I thought they tackled better. And Levis didn't, you know, miss some guys. But the main thing and the main point of all of this and the thing I see from the defense as to why that secondary was able to play better is the defensive line was able to get pressure mm-hmm. and to not allow Levis to sit back there and just pick apart this secondary in soft zones or just allow eventually receivers are going to get open. If you give quarterbacks long enough back there, especially good quarterbacks with strong arms, and you don't get any pressure with your baseline and your three down, or if you send an extra guy, four guys, it's going to be a long day against a quarterback like Levis. And you saw what happened with Rattler uh, mm-hmm. with that situation. And this game, this defensive line stepped up and performed in a way that I don't think we've seen. They had four sacks, six tackles for the loss. Levis was running the entire day. He, the, the pocket was collapsing around him. I don't know the last time we saw an opponent's pocket collapse in an SEC game. So I, I watched that defense multiple times, bending and not breaking and standing strong uh, in the red zone. Another thing that I noticed was on those runs from Rodriguez. He broke the big one. He broke mm-hmm. the 72-yarder. Uh, but multiple times he had runs for 15 or 23 yards that had one guy, whether it was Mahoney or Anderson or Diakite or whoever it was out there, and they were one-on-one and were able to bring down uh, Rodriguez for still a big game, not a good defensive play, but not a back-breaking defensive play that allows you to regroup and recover and move forward. And that was the difference in the game. They only allowed one of those big game-breaking plays. Mm-hmm. And other than that, the defense created more yeah. momentum swing plays than they allowed. And that's something that this defense just hasn't been able to do really since early in Derek Mason's era was the last time you saw a defense create momentum for the offense. Yeah. And even though they lost the turnover battle and won <laughs> the game. So <laughs> I like it. Well, I like how you didn't go. Uh, we'll have we'll we'll probably have so many keys here. We can just kind of feed off of each other. So uh, I went with the running game for my first. I like that first key, Will. My second is going to be just how much the players have matured. I mean, you look at some of these guys, Will, and I think there have there there are some leaders. I think we were talking about this a couple weeks ago, and we were, you know, we I think we had said we don't see you know a true leader or a group of 
you know, two or three leaders that we can really point to and say, those are the guys. But I do believe you've got a guy like Mike Wright. He may not be able to fully, you know, always back it up on the field, but just vocally and Ken Seals also. Yeah. <laughs> you can talk about him joining our spaces right yeah. after on the bus back. I mean, it's it's a guy, it's a guy like that. It's a guy like that who he didn't play in the game, but he's on the sideline and you know, he's a big part of the program, just you know, helping the freshmen out, things like that. So I look at just as as a whole how much they've matured. Coach Lee, he's learned a lot. Uh, every coach on that staff has learned a lot. The just the care level too. I mean, y- you talk about certain aspects of what you want in a program and in a culture. It feels like they've got it. It, it feels like they've got what you need for to build the foundation. Ken Seals through nothing he did on the field at all has become like one of the guys that once he transfers inevitably out, which I think we all know he's going to transfer out and and find somewhere he's going to see the field. He has a very talented arm. Every Vanderbilt fan is going to be in his corner Mm -hmm. wherever he transfers because you see it all across the country. It's kind of crazy that he has gone this route when the other route of being not an extremely supportive teammate, extremely involved day-to-day, excited for winning when he's not the one on the field getting the necessarily glory for it. That's something that is just lost. Yeah. And I just want to keep shining a light on what he is doing as a guy mm-hmm. that was starting as a true freshman. He started as a true freshman in an SEC-only schedule, had a coaching change, mm-hmm. stuck around at the program, lost the job, uh, and then has stayed completely supportive this year as the team has continued to struggle, knowing that there are probably moments when he can perform better than the guys that are out there on that field. That is not something that is very easy to do. Uh, and so Ken Seals has not gotten enough credit for how incredible in the locker room he has been. And mm-hmm. I know for a fact it is an example for young guys coming in to see a former four-star sitting there, giving it his all that's not even starting at his position. I mean, that just sets an example and sets the tone for the whole program. So from top to bottom, I don't want to get too glowing after Mm -hmm. one win. But, man, that has to be something to do with the fact that you just walked into number 24 Kentucky with a less talented roster and won. That's a group of guys that are bought in. Right. And believe there's no other way that you do that unless you're bought in because individually this team, even they would admit for the most part, are less talented individually. In Kentucky, yeah. they outcoached them, they outworked them, and I think there's something to be said that's even more satisfying about a victory like that uh, when the other team just simply didn't want it as much as you did. I, I was just going to say that. That's what Ken Seals said. He said, we wanted to be there. We wanted that. And, Will, I talked about it this week. I said, there's going to be some players out there. I'm not saying there's going to be Vanderbilt players out there, but there's going to be players out there in this field that don't want it, that don't want to be out there. I mean, if you're Kentucky – Part of me can't blame them. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're playing a Vandy team who's 0-5 at this point, but you have to give the credit to Vandy to go out there and get it done and want to be out there and want to get it done. And Ken Seals is a guy – I talk with my hands, Will. I got I, – I, I oh, got yeah. – <laughs> um, but, no, Ken Seals is a big – I ought to throw him into my fourth key yeah, uh, takeaway after, out of this game. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but, no, second key, Will, is just – the maturity level of the program as a whole, uh, because you look at what you've seen this season, you start out with, let's face it, some big wins for where this program has been. I mean, you beat a Hawaii team by 50 or what, what was it? Well, 40, 50, I mean, 60. 60. I mean, you, you dominated, you dominated a, a Hawaii program. You take care of business against Elon. It wasn't pretty. You go on the road and beat NIU. Those are games that, Hell, some people might have expected Vandy to maybe lose that Hawaii game. Yes, you so see, you're taking those those baby steps, and uh, and so yeah, I, I would just say the maturity will of this program, and you saw it after the game. I mean, Coach Lee cares. I mean, he cares this. He's built it into the whole staff. I'm sending he's, my kids to first. <laughs> like, I mean, how do you not? At least, or send them to a school, you know, like an NBA to where Clark is at every day. It, like. He just has that imprint, you know, on the program in two years, not even. So, um, you know, I've always loved him. I know you've always been a big fan, Will. I think you were a little bit slow, like slowly 
you you slowly. I was a little bit quicker. I'll say that to I'm, on the. You know, I'm like maybe I'm wrong on that. I'm like I've had a lot of past like abusive <laughs> relationships that have lied to my face and cheated on me. That's which I don't. Vanderbilt yeah. football coaches. It's like Clark. You got to prove something to me. And yeah. Slowly proving it to me, and the staff is proving it to me. The first thing that got me excited about Clark, and then I'll get to my key number two, was just this being the job for him. Mm-hmm. Is there? There's not some next step necessarily. He's got relatively young kids, I yeah. believe. Yeah. Uh, he's from here. Why would you not love to raise your family in Nashville, one of the hottest cities, if not the hottest city in the country? And so that's what got me excited about Clark Lee in the first place. Is mm-hmm. just thinking if it works out, this is a guy that's here forever. And that's something that you can't always say when you hire a guy like James Franklin or even Derek Mason. If he would right. have had immediate success, there were greener pastures for Derek Mason. I think this is the green pasture for Clark Lee. And I think he's someone that is very straightforward. I don't know him personally. Obviously, we're just speculating here. But I think if you offered Clark Lee and he had success and was just like, look, we, we're just going to ride with you. And I think he understands if he has success, he has job mm-hmm. security. And this fan base – the bar for what we consider success in the SEC, it's not that high, man. Yeah. We're very realistic. But I'm going to get to my key number two, Go which ahead. is another very direct takeaway, just like the pressure. Uh, the development of Quincy Skinner Jr. as a real number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've talked about this all year on the podcast and every recap talking about you can throw the ball up as much as you want to these other guys on the outside. Until you start hitting some of them, the defense is not going to respect it, and they're not going to stop doubling and bracketing Will Shepard on single side. Mm-hmm. Quincy Skinner Jr. made some fucking plays the last few weeks. Yep. Obviously, the game against Kentucky, but he also made, I believe, like South a Carolina. 60-yard touchdown catch yeah. against South Carolina. And before that, he caught a few. I think he had one against, what was the week before, uh, that A.J. Swan kind of scrambled out of the pocket and made a great Yeah, Missouri, throw. yeah. Yeah, Missouri. Yeah. He had another big catch. So that's three weeks in a row. Teams are going to have to start respecting him. He has the body type. He looks like an SEC receiver. Mm-hmm. You put Will Shepard and Quincy Skinner Jr. on either side, Yeah, that is an SEC wide receiving mm-hmm. group. That and- looks like that is Chris Boyd and Jordan Matthews-esque. You have two legit dudes on the outside with McGowan in the slot, Marion Carter with some speed on the inside, and you're starting to build a wide receiving group they can be pretty dangerous, yeah. and they can't just focus on Will Shepard. So that's what's gotten me excited more than anything over the last three weeks overall is just how much better Quincy Skinner Jr. has gotten. He has stepped into that role and filled it. And I think moving forward, you can design a lot more things knowing you have your number one Shepard, his Robin is mm-hmm. Quincy Skinner Jr., Chris Boyd, Jordan Matthews, you can't focus on either of them. They're both 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", big bodies, long arms, soft hands. Yeah. And what, Quincy Skinner Jr. is a sophomore? I think you're right, yeah. Sophomore, yeah. Shepard a junior with probably two years. Of- yeah, yeah. That could be a dangerous duo next year. Yep, and I, we said that before the year, Will. We, we looked at it and we said, Quincy Skinner, we expect some things from him this year. Now, we didn't, we didn't know. We weren't sure when we would get him, but we've gotten him now. And he, he's arrived, and you could say, well, he has had this success because, you know, Shepard has those eyes. And this was a huge key that you talked about before, and I think we both hit on. We need that second guy. You have to have that second guy. You'd like to have three or four, but if you only have one, you need at least but another. You, but did you also notice that once Skinner Jr. started getting some passes, notice who was involved a lot more Bresnan. Yes. The middle of the field – was a lot more open because now that was the number three focus of the defense. Mm-hmm. They, they had two guys on the outside. They had to worry about Ray. They had to worry about Mike scrambling with the spy. All of a sudden, you have this senior tight end leaking out, big body, 6'4", experienced, good hands, and he was very involved and made some key catches yeah. as well. That was the first time we've seen the tight ends involved in the last two years. Yeah. I mean, we have not seen them involved yeah. consistently at all, even though there's a lot of talent mm-hmm. The offense has taken shape a little bit, and and I think we said that after NIU, but obviously you have those teams coming up where it may stop taking. It may it may we may hit pause on that, um, but it's it has returned to that form of what we saw against NIU. Will and so I love that Quincy Skinner uh, key takeaway uh, for me. Will the third 
this is tough, man. I, we, you know, we haven't really prepared uh, as much for this as we probably should have, but you know, we don't need Our prepare. preparation was like gutting my home office, <laughs> getting it set up like this. This is where I uh, have to be working at 7 a.m. tomorrow. So we're going to be getting this figured out. Oh man. Well, number three, I'll, I'll go with, um, I mean, I, I'm going to say overall, just what this defense has turned into and the players that have stepped up. Now we know what we're getting every game week in week out from Anthony Orji. We, we, we know what we're getting from him, but to see a guy like CJ Taylor step into a role uh, the way he has Jalen Mahoney, you know, for him not to leave after coach Mason left and for Clark Lee to develop him, he's gotten better. I mean, Clark Lee has turned him into uh, you know, potentially down the road, an NFL prospect. I really do believe that. Um, I know that was a highly debated uh, thing with uh, with Trevor last week, but I just think, well, there, there's been guys in this defense that have really shown up and and shown out in key spots. Devin Lee, I mean, Devin Lee to have him playing the way he has been. So, and will what look at what this defense went through? I think early in the season, the Elon struggles, the South Carolina struggles. I mean. I think we had kind of thrown this defense out to dry and and thrown it out, you know, for the birds. I mean, we thought it was, I don't know about dead, but, you know, where's it going? Where's this defense going? You know, we just hadn't seen a whole lot, but adjustments. They made adjustments, not just in-game, and they we've seen them make in-game adjustments, but they made in-season adjustments that were huge. I mean, Kane Patterson last week, Will, talked a lot about pursuit. we got to improve on our pursuit you could see it. I mean, they made an emphasis on, yes, you saw the pack of hyenas. You saw better tackling on the edge. Um, and I, you got to give credit to a coach like Nick Howell um, and, and, and the entire defensive staff. Clark Lee, I'm sure, was a, a pretty big part of that. Um, and, and I think you saw that. You could tell, Will, down the stretch of last year, Clark Lee finally said, hey, I've got to take more control. Obviously, he's not calling defensive plays, but it just feels to me – like Clark Lee, you can feel the imprint a little bit on the defense to where he's a defensive guy, and you see that that kind of switch, the 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 flip of the switch. There Got it right go. there, Will. So they flipped the switch defensively. I don't know when exactly it was. Um, I mean, you could say before that Missouri game. Just I mean, you're playing Bama, Georgia, and Ole Miss, though. So you know, there there's there's not a whole lot to say after those, just because of where the talent is at. But in these games where you know you could have beaten Missouri. I really do think deep down, if you play South Carolina 10 more times, I mean, who knows, 50-50, six out of – I mean, four out of 10, who, who knows? It's I, 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 yeah, it's it's closer. It's relatively closer. So, and you play Kentucky again, who knows, maybe two out of – I mean, who knows? I, I that Yeah, that Kentucky, you played them once when it matters and you got it done. Um, so, well, I just go overall with the defense. And a guy like C.J. Taylor, I mean, there, he was – he was trending all over Twitter. I mean, the the he made another uh, freakish-looking sack where he kind of slowly started out like, okay, is this guy blitzing? And then, bam, just shot out of a rocket and, uh, you know, kind of speared Levis uh, low. So, um, you know, just players like that, players like a C.J. Taylor. We know what we're getting from Anthony Orji, but another guy like, like Devin Lee, Jalen Mahoney, who, you know, we knew what we were getting most of the season from him, but Kane Patterson, too. He's been a big part. Uh, I think Lucian has improved. I'm not going to say any of the corners or secondary players have, you know, have lit the world on fire, but they've done enough. You know, they've done enough to get the job done. So Howell and that defense and Clark Lee as well. Everybody on that defensive staff, Coach Lee or Coach Hay and Coach Black as well. Everybody involved. Um, just the defense will. I mean, I know you didn't you didn't like it when I said the defense won them that game, um, but without that last 30 second. I didn't dislike that at all. I well, agree with it. Okay. Okay. We're in agreement there. But no, I, I just think this defense was just such a huge part. Um, and without it, and that that's Clark Lee, that's the coaches on the staff. So uh defense for me, Will. I can't wait for my key number three. <laughs> because my key number three is the mic breaks here, is just going to be to every single player in that Vanderbilt locker room. I know you heard everything. I, I know you see shit all over social media. I know you see it on websites. And it, as a matter of fact, I had a few pulled up uh, on my laptop already. Uh, but I was kind of chuckling 
at some of the phrases that were used about this Vanderbilt team. And so my key number three is this team has fuck you energy. (laughs) And I love it. They have it. Every single prediction for this game, whether it was a Vanderbilt writer, Kentucky writer, even if everything was focused on Kentucky, everything was focused on how is Kentucky going to play? Is Kentucky going to come out motivated? Are they, how much are they going to beat Vanderbilt? Are they going to cover the 18 point spread? In fact, this one here, and I just had to read it. He was talking about against the spread. The the Wildcats play Georgia next week and may want to put some offensive wrinkles on film. Don't expect a let-up against a likely road-fatigued Vandy squad. Back Kentucky minus 17 and a half. (laughs) You hear that, Vanderbilt players? That guy looks like an idiot. And that is all you guys. That's not on any of the fans. The coaches did their part. They prepared you well. But my key number three, I just want to shout out the entire team. And I know this may sound through gold colored glasses. I don't give a shit. It is very easy to pack it in at three and six, Mm -hmm. seeing everything everybody's saying. You have only top 25 ranked opponents left on your schedule. You kind of see in your rear view mirror your possibilities of victory. It's very easy to not want to go play that game on the road, in the cold, in Lexington, play against a very physical Kentucky team that nobody gives you a shot against. And every single player in that locker room came completely prepared to beat the shit out of Kentucky and whip them physically. And they did it. So my key number three Every single player in that locker room, salute to you. If you're over 21 or 21, have a drink. If not, have a juice box, have a protein shake. Oh, man. That Lexington, Kentucky. (laughs) That Lexington, Kentucky bourbon tastes so good. That that Lexington Um, pack. We are in Will's house. I do have to drive. uh, (laughs) We we are in Will's house. I do have to drive back, so uh, I can't (laughs) indulge as much as I may want to. But, uh, Will. That'll do it. We are, we're at 55 minutes. I was shooting for about an hour. Um, man, I mean, this is the moment we had been waiting for. What's the dreams and nightmares song? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it, that's, to be, that's honest, to be honest, it's everything. It, the feeling after they actually won everything I hoped it would be like you, you often hear like once you see the thing happen that you've been hoping for, it's not going to live up. It did. It it lived Every up. Bit of it, yep. I was I was sitting on my couch with this feeling of peace. Yep. You know, like I think Trevor said it best. He said, "Good Lord, you can take me now. <laughs> like, I will not be happier than I was in the moment when C.J. Taylor picked off that Will Levis Hail Mary, and the announcer said, "Let the celebration begin. The streak is over. The streak is over. I I can't believe it. I I still can't believe it." Um, I mean, it was the it was the chef's kiss after the game, Will, um, and, and and that'll do it. Will Vandy beats uh, Kentucky twenty four twenty one. I just had something else to say. I forgot what I was going to say. Was it but Will Lovus, will will like won't love us. Oh, I, I've, I've heard that. I've heard that. I've heard that before. I've heard that before. Yeah. I said it on the spaces. <laughs> but thank you to everybody who, who checked in. I think we're up around maybe 400 on Twitter. Uh, apologies for the lack of camera quality. You guys listen. I think most people listen to it, the podcast anyway. Um, <laughs> the McNair jersey. Will repping the McNair jersey as the Titans got the win. But, um, Will, I'll just say one thing. This, this train is headed in the right direction. I mean, this train is moving in the right direction. Also, go to the Florida game. I, I don't, you know, I don't care if, if they're a 15 point underdog, they were an 18 point underdog against Kentucky. Go to the Florida game, support this team, support these guys, whether you make a difference or not, buy a ticket and head out there. I'll be there. Will, we know you'll be there. Um, I won't go as far as to tell you guys to go to the Tennessee game. Uh, I know you go will. There. Hey, <laughs> I, no, I will. This is going to, I'm just going to get it started. Well, early. It's, it's close enough. <laughs> no, I know it needs to be because Vanderbilt fans need to hear it. All right. I'm going to take a drink before I do this. <laughs> if you have Vanderbilt season tickets and you're a Vanderbilt Commodores fan, you wear black and gold attire. If you sell your tickets to the Vanderbilt Tennessee game, you are never, ever, ever, ever allowed 
to listen to or attend another Door Report event. You are not a <laughs> Vanderbilt fan. You are the worst type of person on this planet. <laughs> Vanderbilt fans. This is not begging. This is telling you. Attend the Vanderbilt Tennessee game. Or that fan base will checker First Bank Stadium and it will be the end of Vanderbilt football. I don't think they're going to do it. We have enough diehard fans. There are just enough of us to prevent it from happening. I think Candace Lee is smart enough. And I'm saying this to say it out loud. So maybe Candace Lee will listen to this. Do not release any tickets for individual sale for that game. I think that's what they're already doing with the salute to service thing. Uh, I think they were already setting aside. You can't really find tickets on SeatGeek. That is going to be my main focus in the next two weeks is not going to be allowing Tennessee to check her the state. I I don't think I don't think it's going to happen. Um, it's not going to happen because we're going to put it out and there are 10 to 15,000 truly diehard <laughs> Vanderbilt fans in Nashville that will not allow that piece of shit color of orange to checker a stadium in Nashville, Tennessee. They are going to have to drive three hours from their bumfuck Egypt cabins in East Tennessee. Uh, they're going to be thrilled to see 4G LTE for the first time. Uh, they're going to come in. They're going to see Broadway, but they're not going to check her first bank stadium. Vanderbilt fans, please. Please. That's that's the, the final the final word there from Will Byram. Will. I, <laughs> oh, man. Will, thank you for letting me in your house for this. Um, this is a, for my first time in here. Uh, pretty cool setup. Uh, Lexington, Kentucky, straight bourbon whiskey has uh, presented this podcast for us. So uh, thank you uh, to them. Uh, Will, again, thanks for letting me in here. Absolutely. And um, first in-person episode, like I said, maybe not the best camera quality, but keep swinging. We keep swinging. We pick up the hammer and we keep swinging. Just like Barton Simmons said, we got to get one of those jackets. Oh, my gosh. Um, but, well, that'll do it for episode 191 of the door report powered by a Laco fine wood floors. <laughs>